0: This week on the podcast, we talk about how to create meaningful change that will actually get you the results you want, no matter what that goal is. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Average to Athletic Podcast. I am realizing that this is a little bit less consistent than I'd like, but when I deliver, it's quality and that's what really matters. At least that's what I'll, uh, I'll stand behind this time. But the, each week we talk about what it means to be an athlete on more than one level. So a lot of people think of athleticism on this kind of you know, one-dimensional frame of what you can do from a physical output. And I think we've all seen examples of wonderfully talented, amazing athletes who just can't hold the emotional let's say, wherewithal together to be able to manage high-stress situations and they fall apart. Or the uh, the mental aspect isn't there to observe what's going on around them. And so really my definition of athleticism is the ability to learn and develop skills. And that skill set is not just limited to the physical aspect, but think about emotional resiliency, leadership, communication, anything that requires Anything that is required of you as a high performer, that is what falls in as an athlete. So as a precursor to all of that skill development, I want to talk today about creating meaningful change. And so why this is important to you is because if you think about this idea of the comfort zone, so we've all heard that phrase before, you know, I'm in my comfort zone. You know, what does this mean? Well, by... By definition, that means that things are predictable, they're stable, and I am comfortable with those. And so anything that moves us outside of that automatically creates this situation of discomfort. And so what you want to consider is that if you want to change something, and this could be a diet, it could be a lifestyle, it could be a habit, routine, it could be, you. Know, let's say, your strength, your body composition, you name it. Any change requires a different input. And so there's two different places inputs happen. They either happen, something new comes out of you or something new comes into your system. But if there are no new inputs or no new outputs from you, nothing will change. And so the difficulty becomes that change is not easy. So here's a little fun fact. All human action is done in an attempt to move away from discomfort. So think about it this way. We are literally designed to deal with problems once they reach a threshold where the discomfort of not addressing them outweighs that energy required to actually make meaningful change to resolve it. You can think about it like if you have, I don't know, uh, an itch or something that scratches you a little bit on your shirt or it's, you know, let let me make a better example. You lay in bed, you lay lay down at night and you notice that Um, some faucet is dripping or there's a a light that was left on or something, right? Depending on how much energy it takes you to get up relative to how discomforting that is, that's going to decide whether you make that change, right? So if you are really sensitive to light or movement and you have a a partner that isn't and you say, you know, like you, you expect them to get up and make this change or do something, but it doesn't bother them, that problem that exists out there, they may notice it, but it hasn't exceeded their threshold of discomfort in order to make it meaningful enough for them to get up and go and enact energy to make that change. But if you make their life miserable, and you're like, get up, get up, get up, and you elevate the discomfort level so that their real problem is trying to make you happy so that they're then solving that problem. So just understand things that whenever there's a resistance to change it is simply because we have not reached the threshold of discomfort in order to enact that and we perceive the energy required as greater than the perceived benefit from that and this kind of lies in with another human trait of human beings inherently complicate that which they don't understand and simplify that which they do meaning that if I am a mechanic and I'm you know if and it I'll take care of all my stuff, like I'll change the oil in my car, I might even do the transmission or change the brakes, because I understand the car, I understand it, right, it's it's simple to me, I would say, ah, oh, it's easy to change the oil, it's easy to do this, or tire pressure, whatever it is, right, but if I'm a layperson, a computer programmer, whatever it is, and I don't know anything about cars, I just need it to turn on and get me where I wanted to go, the idea of changing tires, uh, changing the oil, putting on brakes, whatever, may seem complicated to me, but simply because I don't understand it. In life, few things are really complicated. We just perceive them as being such because we don't understand them. So once you understand that, that allows you to get a different framework for making change. So inherently as humans, we prioritize efficiency, meaning that we don't like to waste energy. You know, humans are animals after all, like our primary concern deep down is to stay alive. And anything beyond that becomes a harder cell for our subconscious brains. So you want to think about this, there's your evolutionary lizard brain that defines survival in terms of staying alive, shelter, food, safety, right? But then we have our more modernly developed prefrontal cortex, or our, you, know, you can think our thinking brain or conscious brain. That's where we start to think about: you know, do I like this outfit? Am I happy? Do I have a purpose? um You know do I want this couch or that couch? do I want to like we have to deal with all these existential not not existential but uh, philosophical ph- philosophical and higher level thought processes so what you want to think about is that is a big dichotomy when it comes into sure, you may know you need to go and work out you may know exactly how to do that and what to do when you change your diet, but the the momentum, the energy underneath that isn't there because your subconscious brain doesn't really perceive that as being worthwhile. Okay. So what you want to think about is that there, this is an excellent framework for why some people struggle to overcome cravings and things when it comes to nutrition, right? For example, eating everything that we can to pack on as much weight as possible makes sense to our subconscious brains because calories are our energy. That's our life saving. So if you are super lean and you don't have food for several weeks, you probably won't make that. But if you can put on extra calories in case you're not able to find food, that solves that problem, right? But... The problem is that that subconscious brain does not necessarily evolved to deal with the modern food availability we live in, so dealing with the health problems, the discomfort, and the lack of physical ability that comes with obesity, those are problems for our thinking prefrontal cortex brains, but those are not something that our subconscious brain would have ever understood and deal with, and it would you know the conversation would be the would between the two would be basically oh well you know sure you're overweight but we're not dead and that's that's kind of the thing it plays this trump card so exercising to be healthier to feel better to look good in a bathing suit those are all motivators for our conscious brain but spending a bunch of energy and calories on the fake workouts that we have to do like going in and lifting weight i always get a kick out of this as a coach because i'll have people come in and you know tell them we're gonna do this many sets or this many exercises and they complain like when we do this i'm like well, it's all fake work, it doesn't really matter, so it's just don't argue about the fake work, just embrace it and do it. But the fake workouts, the fake energy, that doesn't make much sense to our evolutionary mind. And the problem is that without the buy-in from our deeper subconscious brain, all the effort, is, all the effort that is derived for non-essential action, it's driven by our thinking brain, will be short-lived. Meaning that all of this effort it would take to look better in a bathing suit, it just eventually you you have to like fight the momentum doing that but then also convincing your body that it's an important thing to do so without having bigger buy-in it's not gonna last long so sure this is where cheap motivation so like watching youtube videos and things like that you can get worked up and you can get all emotional listen to music and go for a run but that cheap motivation isn't going to work us to keep work to keep us in the habit for the months of consistent training required to make a substantial substantial improvement so you can think about this like a human riding an elephant. This is a great analogy that's been thrown around many times before. The human, which is our prefrontal cortex, this thinking part, has a little bit of influence about what happens and where the elephant goes. And the elephant is our deeper brainstem. So this kind of survival, deep lizard brain, you know, emotional, reflexive part of our brain. But in reality, the human is just basically at the whim of the elephant. We can't outdo this deeper part because it is much quicker and much more ingrained than anything else. And so while there are many avenues that we can use to address this and kind of hack this, so to speak, my favorite solution is to start to think about things in a reframe, right? So basically you're creating artificial pressures and you're arranging circumstances in such a way that the discomfort we're moving away from is actually, actually makes the action towards a better outcome the intuitive and easier choice so to put this to go back to our example of why you know sure the subconscious brain may want to just eat everything and put on as much weight as possible and the prefrontal cortex is saying well no i want to be attractive in a bathing suit and i want to be able to do this and that the way you can reframe that is saying if i don't get a mate because i don't look attractive enough so to speak or i can't run away from a uh, you know a lion or a tiger or do things that are physically required that affects my chances of survival because in addition to staying alive the primary goal of our evolution or existence is to pass on our genes so you can reframe things and then that can help when you really put them in a specific and a meaningful way that can really help maintain those as internal motivators for long periods of time and this is the same thing too when you get some news that you go to doc you have a checkup and you're you know your health, your cardiovascular health, or your uh, metabolic health is is at a life threatening level, or you have cancer, that immediately threatens your survival. So even though nothing has changed from like the day to day existence, everything has changed in terms of how you're framing and perceiving your life and your decisions now. So, how do you then make good change? So people who are successful in their pursuit of health, athleticism, wellness, you name it, anything are those who make it part of their identity. So put another way, they simplify the daily actions required to be a healthy individual, successful individual, athletic individual, in such a way that the movement, the sleep, the nutrition, the mindfulness, they're all non-negotiable parts of their routine. So it's not that they're making decisions and be like, well, what do I do? They're thinking, well, what would an athletic person do? What would a healthy person do? And we all know this, right? So if the choice is between a donut or I don't know, you having a donut or having a a grass-fed steak, you're gonna look at those two and say, well, you know, I want the donut right now, but what would a healthy person do? What would an athletic person do? We all know that, so we're essentially becoming that person. Same thing when I talk about with my weight loss clients. You will never lose the weight until you become a healthy person that's trapped in an unhealthy person's body. And you'll never be more successful in business until you become a successful businessman or woman trapped in an unsex unsuccessful or a poor person's brain or body, right? So those those are, are examples of anything. But anybody that achieves greatness or success and at any measure, at some level becomes makes that part of their identity to where they no longer look and say, Oh, the drudgery of doing this practice over and over and over again, I'm tired. I don't want to do it anymore. It's just, no, this is just what I do. They find joy in the small Let's say easily overlooked components. Like if you want to be a computer programmer, you've got to learn to fall in love with the art and the beauty of the programming. If you want to learn how to juggle, which is I'm doing right now, or learn another language, you have to learn to fall in love with the small things that make it unique. So you can think about, you know, if someone really loved juggling or someone really loved languages, what would they love about it? And you could start to kind of find that out and explore and instead of thinking bigger you can think more more microscopically and look at this thing and break it apart and you can create games in it but it all derives its meaning from creating your identity around that so here's the thing change is oftentimes the hardest part almost always right and when I say change I mean the first change right that kind of breaking of that pattern Because once that change has been enacted, while yes, each subsequent action becomes easier, it also induces the discomfort of doing something different, right? And so this is where it's so important because the second you do something outside of this comfort zone, it is by nature uncomfortable, right? But by continuing to do that, by making it an identity, by making, in a sense, burning the bridges, moving forward and not looking at what you were leaving and looking at what you are gaining or changing towards, that thing builds momentum. And eventually, with this momentum, consistency becomes the routine and the cumulative decisions they stack up to make more significant wins. The limiting factor in all this is that first change is that overwhelm. That comes from the discomfort, right? So the problem is, is at that first chance of discomfort, you will tend to step back and take a big, broad look and feel overwhelmed and think, this is too much, I can't do this. It's like saying, instead of, you know, when you get to a hike, it's a long hike. Instead of just remembering to take the first step on the hike, we tend to just sit at the trailhead and kind of feel anxiety about how tall the mountain is. It doesn't matter how tall the mountain or the hike is, if you never take the first step, but by taking the first step, you take the second and the second and the third. And eventually you're moving and that creates momentum and you'd be amazed at how far you can go if you just consistently do it. But here's the thing. Don't feel bad about this. Making changes in our life is hard by definition. And I've said this before. Anything that requires action outside of what our normal is requires an expansion of our comfort zone. And by definition, anything that moves us out of our zone of comfort is uncomfortable. So what do we do? Typically, people will ignore things, they procrastinate, they put it off, they blame, they negotiate, they say, eh, I don't need it that much, or they settle, right? And most commonly, we tell ourselves a story about how when the circumstances change, we'll find, somehow find motivation to act differently. We'll be gifted with this motivation, right? But it's waiting for something new to come into our life. And the problem is that this leads to one of the biggest misconceptions we have about action, that we need to feel motivated before we can act differently, So one of my absolute favorite books, it's The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck by Mark Manson. Basically, he has a whole chapter about this, but he spends time and he does a really good and very clear way uh, discussing this, this, uh, this model, right? And I'll try and paraphrase it here for you, though I highly recommend that book. The common mental framework we think about this runs along the lines of, first, there's inspiration, some big thing we think about or aspire to. That gives us motivation. And that motivation leads to action. So that's, that's the way we think about it. But essentially, we're finding inspiration through external means, and then, then we draw motivation from that, which leads to internal action, the internal motivation or action. So we're thinking out towards in. So this does happen sometimes, right? You... I don't know, something changes, but generally that's around a something changing in your life that brings in discomfort. And so those aren't always, more often than not, are not positive changes, like a bad medical diagnosis, a health scare, a, uh, a, a, a brush with death, any number of those things. The, if, it's essentially hitting rock bottom. Um, so instead of, you know, thinking about it, like I have to wait till things get really bad for a change, there's a better way to do it. The more meaningful and consistent way you can institute this change in your life is by flipping things around. Thinking about things in terms of this action, the action creates motivation, the motivation creates inspiration. To put another way, action is the basis of meaningful motivation in our lives. Action comes first. So think about it this way. By doing something, you then get feedback. By taking that feedback, that gives you a re- either it moved forward or it moved away. Like it was positive or negative feedback. And you can use that and then you continue to do that. That builds motivation because, hey, I'm doing this. It's working, right? We're simplifying the perceived complexity. We're taking those steps. So you can think about it. if you want to lose weight, if you want to get out of pain, if you want to gain strength, you can either wait until you're sick, miserable, and at rock bottom for the motivation to change, or you can take action towards a better outcome before that happens. And so this is something like, you know, taking that first step and then letting that be the thing that starts to move you, right? So waiting for something new to come into your life is likely just a short-term adjustment to an uncomfortable symptom. And that's not going to last. But instead, by reframing and applying pressure on the situation, you can artificially create the circumstances that move you into action. And this is what I was saying. You can, um, you know, by artificially creating the situation, instead of, well, I just want to survive to actually I want to attract a mate, that's an artificial reframe, right? That's an artificial pressure. In other ways you can do this are investing money to a coach, making a bet with a friend, joining an accountability group, or literally anything that presents a reality that makes staying where you are more uncomfortable than the discomfort of change. so thinking people um there's another another way that our little humans mind work. we are twice as likely to move away from the from loss as we are to move towards pleasure like so we're twice as likely to move away from pain as we are to move towards a better opportunity so that's where the risk aversal comes into play so investing a large sum of money to a coach or making a bet with a sit you know like you have a group of friends make a bet where you'll lose money if you you don't follow through or even just a little bit Um, it makes the situation where the natural risk aversion to avoid wasting the money kicks in so similarly, by bringing in an accountability group or signing up for a photo shoot that's going to be released to people, you introduce this peer pressure and public shame in a positive way that makes a healthy eating pattern and daily movement seem much more exciting. If I said, hey, I got a photo shoot scheduled for you, and if you don't go, you'll lose I don't know, $6,000, whatever, in in six weeks, and I'm going to release those pictures to everybody in that sense. <laughs> you know, that's, that's something where you, you can create this pressure to get you moving in the right direction. And then once you have that action, that becomes motivation and it continues to go and it builds in this cycle that goes over and over and over again. So, and once you have this discomfort set, the, the, the thing about it, the action creates results. Those results become motivation to continue. And then that becomes inspiration of the bigger possibilities available to you. So the big takeaway here is don't just sit there, do something. So my challenge to you is to begin with small wins that get this process started off. You could, you know, drinking 20 ounces of water first thing in the morning will keep you, will rehydrate your blood. It'll get you out of this kind of morning hunger, craving things. It's really just you thinking you need to eat and that's gonna change your diet, put you in the right start, as opposed to just getting up and having a bunch of caffeine or eating, you know, the first thing you could find. Getting seven and a half hours of sleep at night is gonna restore your energy and learn more, you're gonna have better focus that's going to be a non-negotiable so that you feel better, make decisions better throughout the day, right? And you're building these little wins. Taking a 20-minute walk outside after lunch helps manage the blood glucose, so you're shifting that to actually your muscles and, and moving as opposed to just having this crash later on. Doing a daily 10, one of my morning mobility routines, to wake up to get your body moving, getting blood flowing, reading 10 pages can start to make momentum in a book. Like you start, well, I'll keep going, and start to, you start to see... Books are a great example because, you know, looking at an unstarted book can feel overwhelming. But when you start to read 10 pages a day, if you just do that for three or four days, you can physically see the momentum. And as you get through that and you start to see, oh, I'm a third of the way, I'm half the way, you start to get excited to finish and kind of move through that. So that action becomes motivation and the motivation becomes inspired. Like, oh, I can finish this, I can do this. And that inspiration, after you finish it, becomes, wow. Wow. I finish that whole book, I can read another one. and You start to you know, challenge yourself more. So you see how this works, right? Cutting out sugar, meditating, uh, doing something that makes you sweat, so exercising, practicing a new skill like I'm working on juggling, any of these things, or eating protein, more protein at your meals, these are all incredibly valuable. But it doesn't matter what action you start with, it does matter that you start. Because remember, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. And the other thing is, don't expect to condense an entire process into a process into a single day. But know that by taking the first step, you've accomplished arguably the hardest part. So that is that is truly the biggest reframe you have to have is just finishing the taking the most difficult part and just attacking it one step at a time, and that consistent action will then become the assurance of actually succeeding. So my question for you is what step will you take? What will you do differently? And this, this question, if you're struggling to come out with something that doesn't seem overwhelming, you need that first step to be like, oh, well, duh, I can do that. Like, it's super easy. Like, can you go drink 20 ounces of water? Well, yeah. Like, you, it needs to be that simple. Just as simple as taking the first step on a hike is really simple, right? This is where a coach comes in. So if you are tr- have, having trouble just talking yourself down to the simple point, And taking that first step, bringing a coach's eyes into the situations can help you get out of your own way. And that truly is is the value that getting the first meaningful change brings into your life. And so having a coach can make that so much more effective because they'll also be there when it gets uncomfortable and you don't want to do it anymore. So if you really care about that, spending time to invest in that part, will guarantee that you are going to be successful in almost anything you do. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed my wonderful voice rolling through these deep concepts. If you have any questions, you can always email or message me and ask any questions you have. Otherwise, stay strong, stay beautiful, stay healthy, and focus on your independent thought. Don't get sapped in there. Don't get sucked into the uh, political discourse and the fear-mongering, the outrage and cancel culture we, we live in. The world is beautiful. It is a wonderful time to be alive. Take care. Talk to you soon. Bye.